One of the things that, I don't know about you, but I, it happened to me, and I, those are some of the things that um, this particular topic also is kind of controversial, is the afterlife. What happens when we die? So it's a very significant question. It's a terrifying question uh, for many, even for some believers. Um, I remember one uh, famous theologian, R.C. Sproul, said, uh, yeah, I'm not as scared of, of dying because I know who I am in Christ, but the process, that terrifies me. Even like what happened before we were born, pre-life. It's another question that um, a lot of people wrestle with those questions. Mark Twain, a famous writer and novelist and even comedian, once said, I do not fear death in view of the fact that I had been dead for billions and billions of years before I was born. I had not suffered the slightest inconvenience from it. Why am I going to worry about death when even before, before I was born, I didn't exist and quite honestly I was fine. Mark Twain took comfort in the belief that the afterlife would be no different than the before life. In other words, Mark Twain found assurance in the hope of non-existence. A long time ago I was in Spain uh, for my cousin's wedding. She said, hey, I'll pay everything, just come in and then just pray for me. Not even doing the ceremony, just, just pray for me. I was like, okay, sounds good, I'll go. I'll go to Spain. So I did, and then I literally, I just spent 10 minutes, and then that was it. Um, the after party, I was just chilling, and, uh, and uh, two guys approached me at different times. One guy was a naturalist, and he said, hey, what you said in your prayer about the whole marriage thing and the whole Jesus stuff, that was fascinating, fascinating. It's just so hard for me to believe that. And I said, well, what do you believe? I, I mean, I just believe that once you're dead, you're, that's it. You're like a candle. It's done. Um, it's just, man, I wish I can believe that. And I said, well, what is one of the things that uh, scares you the most about what do you believe? And he said, well, yeah, that. I mean, it scares me. I, I wish... I wish I can spend more time with my mother because my, my mom is a single mother and the only child and I wish I can spend more time with her. And knowing that she is not going to be around, that this is it, it's overwhelming. Man, it's just overwhelming. But anyways, I choose to believe this. And I remember just telling him, there is more than that. I didn't close the deal, right? Uh, repent from your sins. I didn't say none of that. I just said there's just more than that. There's just more, there's just more than that. And then I had another guy later. Uh, he was a little bit uh, influenced by adult beveraging. <laughs> and he came and he was like, bro, I don't know why you're not dancing with us and all that. And just relax, man. We're all going to go to the same place. Just relax. Clearly, I was able to see that he maybe you know, believing in universalism, and he was like, yeah, no matter what you do, whether you drink or not drink, or whether you do good things or bad things, you, we all end up in the same place. Just come. 
remember my face. I remember him telling me, look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Three times, like, I got you. It's just the two of us. I got you. Remember my face, but we're going to be in the same place in heaven. And I said, hey, remember my face. I want you to look at me. But unfortunately, that's just not going to happen. The concept of death, what happens after we are gone or before, is a fascinating topic. It's a terrifying topic. But once we have been granted existence from our Creator, once we are here in this world, there's no going back. It's no longer a question of existence versus non-existence. Instead, it becomes a question of the quality of one's existence. Why are you here? One of the most significant existential questions. Why were you born now and not in medieval times? Why were you born with your family? Were you able to control being born with your family? Were you able to be, uh, control being born in the States? Why not in Ecuador? Why I was born in Ecuador and not in the States? Why do I have to go through the whole immigration process, which is a nightmare? Why do I have to do that? Why are you here? The Christian understands that the present life changes things. That existence is non-reversible. And it is in the period of time between the before life and the afterlife that decisions with eternal ramifications are made. Instead of taking comfort in non-existence, the Christian takes comfort in the assurance of eternal life. Jesus promised to every believer that He is the resurrection and the life. And that everyone, doesn't matter who you are, everyone who believes in Him will live even though He dies. That yes, the gospel is exclusive. It's very exclusive. It's open to anyone who wants to come to Jesus. The Gospel of John, brothers and sisters, is a fascinating book. You just have to understand that the biblical writers were, ama were amazing writers. Fascinating writers. Full of intentionality and narrative. I mean, they're just amazing books. And the purpose of this book, the book of John, I think is important for you to know. You're taking notes. It's in John 20, verse 30 to 31. That's the purpose of the book. In John 20, 30, 31, like why did John write this book? It's extremely important. Why did he write the whole book of John? It's a very long book. It says, verse 30 to 31, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of, his, of the disciples. Tons, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. That's the whole purpose of this book. So every time you approach the New Testament, every time you approach this book, the book of John, the main purpose of the author is for you to understand that Jesus is God. And that if you believe in Him, you will have eternal life. So every time 
whether can or can't open this book, it is prohibited for you to fall asleep. Prohibited. Because God is speaking. And when God speaks, bro, sis, we gotta pay attention. We gotta pay attention. It is fascinating that in this book, John provides seven IMs statements. Seven IMs. If you know a little bit of Old Testament, the term I am Yahweh was a very famous, unspokable name. You couldn't say that name. But every time who heard the name I am, remember Exodus 3. When Moses is before the burning bush, he says, with one name, who do, I, who do I tell these people that is going to rescue them? I am who I am. So when Jesus is saying these seven I am statements, he's saying, I am God. I am not just a random Jewish carpenter. I am God in the flesh. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am divine, and you are the branches. I am the bread of life. I am everything that you need. You want to feel fulfilled? Come to me. I am the light of the world. Without me, you cannot see the world properly. I am the door. I am your protection. Money is not your protection. What you have, your possessions, is not your protection. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. You know who can take care of you? Me. I'm the only who can take care of you. I am the way. I know how to get to heaven. I am divine. You are the branches. Without me, there's nothing you can do. And now I am the resurrection and the life. What does that mean? As I already mentioned, death is a scary topic. No one really likes to talk about it. We would like to know what happens when we die, but not really. I mean, think about it. I don't know if this happens to you, but it happens with my students. When we talk about heaven, they're not very excited. They think this is going to be a service like this for billions of years. <laughs> not quite exciting, right? But we would like to talk about hell because it's terrifying, right? It's a terrifying place. So we don't like to talk about those things. But I do believe it's important for us to talk about those things. The Bible provides the answers to death's major questions. But according to the Bible, there is also a different type of death that you may not be aware of. Maybe you are. A spiritual one. There are walking death people. Humans, says Ephesians 2, 1 to 3, are dead in their trespasses and sins. So let me ask you some questions. Maybe you can take notes. Maybe you can pull out your phone and type this down. So let me ask you some questions. I call these x-ray questions. And if you feel a little bit weird inside of you, that may be the Holy Spirit just knocking at the door of your heart. Don't run away from these questions. So here are four questions to prove that, yeah, there's something going on. That there's brokenness in this world, and, and I need the gospel in order to be restored. So question number one is, do you struggle with anxiety? The data is very clear out there. If the answer is yes, what are you doing to make it go away? Second question, do you struggle with depression? 
If the answer is yes, what are you doing to make it go away? Do you struggle with insecurity? And this is not just for females, this is also for men. What are you doing to make it go away? Last one, do you struggle with addiction? What are you doing to make it go away? What are you doing to make those things go away? My main idea for this morning's message is this. Your church, only Jesus is the giver of a true life now. Only Jesus is the giver of a true life now. And an eternal one in the future. Jesus not only gives you a life in the future, called eternal life. He can give you a new life this morning. Okay? John 11. Are you guys there? That's the person next to you. Are you there? Are you ready? Are you there? Okay. Here we go. From verses 1 through 16, we're going to see the news, the purpose, and Thomas' pessimism. Because what is happening right now, just to give a little bit of context, what is happening right now is that one of Jesus' best friends was ill. His name was Lazarus, which uh, the name Lazarus means God will help. And his sisters, Mary and Martha, sent a messenger to tell Jesus that their brother was, was very ill. And they were hoping that Jesus will heal their brother in the same way that he healed many people. But Jesus, instead of leaving and going to see his friend right away, decided to stay longer for one particular purpose. In verse 4, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Verse 1, the news, the purpose, and Thomas' pessimism. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wet his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. Verse 3. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard of it, he said, Well, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Pause. Fascinating how Jesus operates. You see how different it is? When you find out that a family member or a friend is ill, is going to die, has a couple of hours, what's the first thing that you do? You go right away. Right away. But he stays. Jesus operates completely different. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. He's very different. And the purpose is never about us. I know, super sad. It's about him. It's about him. Now Jesus, verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. He loved them. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples freaked out, said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Are you going to go to a place that they're going to kill you? Are you going to go to a place that is not safe? That doesn't make sense. 
Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. Pretty much he's utilizing just common day work living. I just came back from the jungles of Ecuador doing mission. If you work until, you work until like 6 p.m. because after that it's dark and there's no way for you to see your work. What Jesus is saying is, I believe is this, I think is this. He said, okay, God has given us 12 hours to work. And I need to do His will. So as long as I do His will, as long as I do His will, I will not stumble. If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, says Jesus, because he sees the light of this world, which is, he said, I am the light of the world in chapter 8. I believe that Jesus is saying, as long as you do the will of God, don't worry about danger. As long as you do the will of God, don't worry about the what if. As long as you do the will of God, you're going to be safe. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Verse 11. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I will to awaken him. Well, the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus has spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there. Why? So that you may believe. But let us go to him. The purpose of this death is so that you can see and believe that I am the Son of God. This is not the first time that Jesus is manifesting or teaching about his own identity. But the disciples are not getting it. A congregant in Martin Luther's church asked him the question, Why do you preach the gospel every single Sunday? Can you teach us something different, something more hot, sexy, something else? Why the gospel every single Sunday? And Martin Luther said, because you don't get it. You still don't get it. Verse 16. So Thomas, called the twin, twin means Thomas, said to his fellow disciples, well, let us also go that we may die with him. You can clearly see Thomas' pessimism. He's the, he the disciple that always doubted. Well, if, if they were killing us there, if they were trying to kill you there, well, you want to go back there? Well, let's just go so that we may die, finally. Not seeing the big picture, not paying attention to Jesus' words, saying that you're going to see the glory of God. Well, let's just go die. Verse 17, the declaration, I am the resurrection and the life. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Now, this is very important. Because back in those days, you have to hire someone to mourn for you. But a lot of people knew this, this family. So you have a lot of people in the town coming and wanting to cry with them because Lazarus was dead. So when Martha heard, verse 20, so that when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you have been here, my brother will have not died. That's, a, that's not a rebuke. That's not saying like, how come like a wish? It was more like a recognition that, Lord, I've seen you do miracles before. I've seen you do miracles before, Lord. 
I know that nothing is impossible for you. And if you would have been here, my brother would have been alive. But even now, verse 22, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Martha knew the teachings from the Pharisees that in Psalm 118 verse uh, 23 said that, yeah, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Martha knew, of course, there's going to be one day that everyone is going to experience this resurrection. Jesus said to her, and it's going to bring a, a change in Martha's view. I am the resurrection and the life. I know you know that teaching, but I want you to look at me, Martha. I am the fulfillment of that, of that teaching. I am the resurrection and the life. It's interesting that Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Like He not only gives you a new life in the future, like He's going to raise your body physically. One of the most fascinating to do about this text is to teach it in a funeral. To teach that, yeah, Jesus is going to raise this person from the dead. Yes, one day he's going to do a bodily resurrection. That's what we believe. But then he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, and that word in, which means into, whoever believes in me, whoever is united with me, whoever is in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And the million dollar question is, do you believe this? Christ Church, do you believe this? Do you believe that one day the inevitable is going to happen? We're all going to see our Creator face to face. The inevitable is going to happen. But those who believe in Christ will rise first. And not only that, that if you today give your life to Christ, He can change it. He can change it. He can change your life. Did you believe this? Verse 27, she said to Him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Pause for a second. Now, powerful narrative. You can tell that the narrative is getting more and more intense. A little bit more intense. And we get to a very significant moment. Jesus makes this statement, I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, I can promise you, you're going to have a new life now and in the future. I can promise you. You just have to look to me. It's kind of like what happened to the disciples when they were on the boat. And there was a storm happening. And Jesus was going to pass them. And then they see Jesus walking by. And they say, is that a ghost? Who is that person? He says, me. Don't freak out. And then Peter says, okay, if that's you, I want to go to you. Jesus says, come. So he gets off the boat. And the moment he gets off the boat and walks out with Jesus, he breaks the law of physics. I cannot break the law of physics right now. I'm tripping. I will hurt myself. <laughs> but the moment Peter looks at Jesus, he's breaking the law of physics. And he's walking on water. And the Bible says that everything was fine until, he start, until Peter started doing this. And he started focusing on the wind 
and the sea and the storm and started sinking. And the nerve gets a little more and more intense because then the, the Bible says that Jesus comes and grabs Peter and pulls him out. I said, oh, Peter, Peter, why did you doubt? You were fine. So it seems like the quality of Jesus, of Peter's faith, didn't get him all the way to, back to Jesus. A faith that gets you to Jesus. Which is fascinating, the different types of faith. There's a strong faith, a demon faith. James 2 says there's a, a demon faith, like even the demons believe, and they shudder. The faith that Jesus is talking about, that you and I need, is a salvific faith. A faith that trusts in Him, runs to Him. Faith. Everything is fine. Now, if we're honest, my beloved church, it's easy for Jesus to say that. It's easy to say it. Words are cheap. It's easy to just say it. But the narrative continues. Now we're going to see something fascinating about the person of Jesus, the humanity of Jesus, and the people's perplexity. Verse 28, when she has said this, this is Martha, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard and she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her son Mary rise quickly and go out, they follow her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and saying to him, Lord, once again, if you have been here, my brother would have not died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. The humanity of Jesus. This section in the original means that he was upset. Like Jesus is not in the heaven rejoicing about the brokenness of this world. Jesus is not in the heaven rejoicing that my students, my teenagers have these awful thoughts about life. For their confusion. He's not in heaven rejoicing about the shootings. And he's not rejoicing about those things. It's awful. He created a very good world. But that's what the hope that we have is that he's going to come back. But in this section, we can see the humanity of Jesus. Are you sad right now? Are you experiencing sadness? Have you lost someone? I have. And right now, Jesus too. So he can sympathize with you. That's the book of Hebrews. We have a great high priest who sympathizes with us. He's not distant. He's not distant to your pain. He's not distant to your sorrow. He's near you. He's deeply moved and angry at the brokenness of death. Like death steals people. I remember when my grandfather died. It's awful. Even though that he's in glory because he was a pastor for more than 48 years. I don't have him. Three years. He's deeply moved and sad. Verse 34. 
And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And the shortest verse in the whole Bible, Jesus wept. It's not like he just was rolling tears down his cheek. He was crying. He was very sad because according to the first verse in verse uh, 3, he loved Lazarus. He loved him. And even though he knew he was going to resurrect him, he was still full of sadness about the brokenness of this world. What an amazing Savior you and I have. So the Jews said, and this is the perplexity of the crowd, verse 36. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. Wow, what an amazing Savior we have. But others said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? This division. Some people saw the true nature of Jesus. Some people saw, what's wrong with you, man? Upset at him. It reminds me of another story about the vision of a crowd. That when the disciples experienced the Pentecost and they were speaking in all these languages, the mighty works of God, some people said, wow, those guys are worshiping the Lord in Spanish. That's a, how, do you, how do you speak Spanish? I don't know that. And other guys said, oh, these guys are drunk. Same, same message, same audience, two different responses. We have two different responses here. The perplexity of people. But now on the last section. From verse 38 to verse 44. Jesus' promise. We're going to see Jesus' promise. Prayer and power. Then Jesus deeply moved again. Came to the tomb. It was a cave. And a stone lay against it. Jesus said. Take away the stone. Now, pause for a second. Now, that's terrifying. It's like someone saying, okay, open the casket. Can you imagine? No, but my grandpa, my grandpa is, no, no, don't do that. That's inappropriate. That's weird. What are you going to do? No, 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 hold on. Open the casket. Open the coffin. Go ahead. Because clearly Martha, at the end of verse 39... Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, 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 by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. No, 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 wait a second. Don't, don't, don't do that, Jesus. But before, in verse 27, she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. But right now, she's saying, no, no, hold on. Don't, don't, don't remove the stone. Don't take away the stone. Because now there's going to be a smell. He has been there for four days. And then Jesus said to her, verse 40. Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Because it's easy. Words are cheap. Right? Words are cheap. But now we're going to see the power of God. You will see the glory of God. So verse 41. So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up, lift up his eyes. And said. Father. I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I say this on account of the people standing around. That they may believe. There is a theme of the book of John. That they may believe that you sent me. 
Everything that I'm doing from delaying my arrival to this prayer, to asking the people to remove the stone, is so that you may believe I am God. And that when you believe in me, you will have what your soul is longing for. I am the resurrection and the life. Lazarus, come out. And he comes out. He comes out. After this, verse 46, verse 45. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. And that was the first time that the Pharisees planned to kill him. To kill him. Brothers and sisters, only Jesus is the giver of a true life now and an eternal one in the future. Maybe like me, you're wondering, well, I would love to see a dead person come alive. I would believe. If that's you, I want you to look around the room. Because there were many of us who were dead in our trespasses and sins. I was dead in my trespasses and sins. If you want to know, I don't mind telling you my testimony. I was dead. Full of insecurity and anxiety and depression. Typical child, Ecuadorian child, left abandoned by his father, raised by a single mother. I can tell you my story, but now I have life in Christ. I'm a living proof that Jesus raises people from that are spiritually dead. He has the power to take all of your sins and give you a fulfilled life full of hope, joy, and purpose right now. Come see the glory of God in the person and works of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter how many sins or mistakes you have made. Your sins will never outshine His love and forgiveness for you. Your life is not the exception to His power. Your life is not the footnote to His omnipotence. A couple of questions and I'll close this time in prayer. Brother and sister, how's your relationship with Jesus? Do you trust in Him? Do you trust Him with your life now when you're, and with after this life? Is your life a reflection of your committed love, devotion, and allegiance to Jesus? I think some of us in this room need to hear this. We need to stop that sin that is killing you internally. Do you feel far away from God? Do you feel unworthy to be here? Do you feel unworthy to even pray? pray? Repent. Confess the sin. Repent. Run away from it. And come to Jesus and He will give you forgiveness. He will restore you. If you genuinely believe in Jesus, that means that God the Spirit dwells in you. Therefore, you can stop that sin and pursue the things that God loves. He is the way, He is the truth, He is the life. Come to Jesus, and I promise you, your life will never be the same. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that we all need it. Thank you that we all 
are still running this race towards, as John Bunyan will say, to the celestial city. And we need your strength. Help us, Father, to run this race well. I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room. I pray that they will feel encouraged. I pray that they will feel that they have hope. Hope that only you can provide. Father, we want to cling to those words, Lord, that we don't want to be afraid. We want to be confident that we can look at death to his face and declare Jesus is king. And that we're going to be okay. And for those, Father, that right now are experiencing sorrow, I pray, Lord, that they will be comforted with your word and with God's people. Thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for the privilege and joy that I've had to be on this pulpit and to share with these brothers and sisters in Christ. We love you. And in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.